Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Maybe you're like Ben and Sarah, the couple that's just down the road. They've been married for 15 years. They're the average American family with the four-bedroom house to match. Looking in from the outside, it all looks good. Sarah is a faithful wife and mother of two. She's fulfilling her role at home. Ben, he's got it all together as well. Their smiles always look realistic when you see them at church, and when they're not in the church nursery serving, you find them occupying the third row from the front on the left-hand side. They're the couple you admire. They seem like they've got all the right ingredients to a perfect life and marriage. But over the last couple years, deep down, they both have been secretly wondering, is this it? Is this what I signed up for? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You see, conversations in their marriage seem to end as soon as they start. And they've slipped into the I don't care mode. You know the kind where someone you know, says, hey, should we do this? I don't care, honey. I don't care. But clearly what that person's valuing is peace. Peace above all else. Now they try to pretend like, um, you know, I'm just being unselfish. But of course, this doesn't work. The hope is this will come across as nobility. <laughs> Instead, it comes off as complacency and laziness. The passionate fire in the bedroom has dimmed to a small flickering flame on rare occasions. The mortgage has got 22 more years on it, so Ben mentally calculates, okay, well, I guess that's how long I'm going to stay in this job that I don't necessarily love. Got to keep making the payments. Now, today's show is about investments, and Ben and Sarah have actually been thinking about investments themselves. A few years back, in fact, they met with a financial planner, and now every month they feed a 401k retirement plan. In, in a pretty big way, too. When they hit the magical age of 67 and all the kids are grown and gone, they'll finally start to be able to live the way they want to live, living off their investments. I think what Ben and Sarah are putting their hope in is this concept of someday. If that's you, let's dig into this together on today's episode of Vows to Keep Radio, the show where you get sound biblical counsel you can apply immediately to your marriage. We're your hosts, David and Tracy Sellers of Vows to Keep. We are biblical marriage counselors, authors, teachers, podcast hosts, radio hosts, and conference speakers. And if you want to get back to being on fire for your spouse and for God, you're definitely in the right place because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Ben and Sarah both recognize their relationship isn't paying dividends. It's not as fulfilling as it once was. That honeymoon phase, it did end. They were warned, but life hasn't stopped since. So they each do what's got to be done. But I don't know if they recognize that defeat is closer than they think. They've got an enemy and so does your marriage. Satan is working his long con on them. He's not using obvious missiles to destroy their home. He's not dropping bombs of temptation that are going to cost them everything at once. Satan is using inflation to slowly bankrupt their marriage. Now, marriage inflation maybe isn't something that you've ever thought about before. But let me explain. When you were young and in love, those puppy dog kisses, they were free and frequent, right? But now the simple things cost a lot. The frustration of a life that's ho-hum uses up Ben and Sarah's drive. There's nothing left in the emotional bank to invest in each other or in their relationship with God. 
Now, shortly after Christmas, Ben has this realization. It's a new year, and my marriage is in need of investment. Well, the kids are busy with new toys, so now is the perfect time to sit down and make a plan. With a bit of fear and some determination, Ben does some Google searching. How do I get a rock star marriage? Well, the top 10 results all point to one answer. Sex. Fired up in the bedroom, Ben, and your marriage will be healthier because of it. That's what all the articles say. Now, this actually sounds pretty good to Ben. He plans out this special night. You know, roses, dinner, holding hands. You can picture the scene. You see, it was a Tuesday. Sarah had had a long day. She was exhausted. She was frustrated. She was alone all day with her thoughts. And they weren't good. He's trying to make magic. And in Sarah's eyes, after having kids and and even having this terrible day she's had, she's not got the body or the mindset for this kind of magic. It would have meant more to Sarah if Ben would have just hauled out the trash. Back into survival mode, Ben goes. The internet's best advice has failed. If your marriage was compared to money, most of the big deposits we make are the ones preceding some big hope we have, some big dividend that we want to get. On that Tuesday night, Sarah needed Ben's investment to be from his heart to her heart. She needed to be asked, what are your fears? She needed truth spoken over all the lies that she was believing. But that wasn't in Ben's big plan. The fallacy of big plans in marriages start with the very first one we make on our wedding day. We use $10,000, $20,000 for a single day, for a single event. The pictures, they look nice. But when was the last time that you planned something half as elaborate so that it would be perfect for your spouse? Where have you considered what needs investment and not just for the outcome that you hope to receive? Sarah, I know, wants to have passion for her marriage, but all the cares of the world have bankrupted her most days because first she has to run the gauntlet of the 20,000 distractions between her and Ben. And by the time she gets there, nothing feels free anymore. So she gives what she thinks she has to give. She thinks she's made an investment in her marriage, but many times she hasn't. Yet divorce is not in her vocabulary, so she just keeps trucking on year after year. Our broadcast is all about investments. And you remember, Ben, he was wise. He set a goal to have a million dollars in retirement by the time he was 45. This means that when he's 67, he's going to have plenty to play with. Now, with the help of his 401k and that financial advisor, he mapped out what is it going to take? What's his investment look like? And then he puts investing into motion. Now, this isn't a surefire thing, right? You can see in the economy that our investments change. Today, the market's up. Tomorrow, it could be down, but it is never stagnant. You're either moving toward each other in your marriage or away from each other. It's just like the economy. There isn't a neutral ground day. Ben focused on a plan for his finances. Meanwhile, an investment plan in his marriage that is biblically based really hasn't been considered. He's turned to the wrong places and failure caused him to tap out. What I'm talking about is the difference between his goals for an outcome and God's goal for him and his marriage. Now, the culture tells us that the ultimate goal of the wedding day is this you know, sizzling bedroom experience for the length of your relationship. And ironically, the world's not shy about telling you, well, that's never going to happen if you get married. So don't do that. But God actually says that your marriage is to tell the world about Jesus' investment 
in us. We're going to look at some scripture today from the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he was definitely a man of investment, one of the most intentional people you could ever meet. He checked off all the boxes of a good life, and he says so himself in Philippians chapter 3, hey, here's every good thing I've ever done, and I've checked all the accolades I could ever want are right here. Paul had his eye on the prize of doing good in the sight of others until God got a hold of his heart. Here he is walking down the road to Damascus, and God shows up right in front of him. God had to literally make him blind for three days to get his attention. Paul needed to lose his eyesight in order to gain spiritual eyesight. He was now realizing for the first time, my old way of doing things is worthless. All of his self-righteous investments weren't going to amount to anything. And this is the first time he'd ever considered that. But Paul reacts in a strong way. He says, God, I hear you. I understand who you are and I'm going to call you Lord. Now, what do you want me to do? I love that Paul gets right to the point and God gets right to the point too. He gives Paul a clear direction. Paul, it's time to start investing in something that's going to last. Here's your new purpose in life. Build my kingdom, share my love and my truth with others. Now, maybe it's because God met Paul on a road, or maybe it's because Paul was so finish line driven. But if you read Paul's writings in the New Testament, you're going to see he often parallels us to runners and our lives to a race. You can see anywhere from Romans to Galatians to 1 Corinthians and Hebrews and lots of places in between is the same call to investment, the same call to action. Spend yourself well for God and others. He says, train yourself, run your race with endurance, press on towards the goal. Don't grow weary. Finish the race. Now, even if you're not a runner, Paul's analogies are very helpful. I mean, we can relate to this because we're in a goal-driven society. We make hundreds of decisions a week, and each one has got a specific purpose behind it. Each choice is an incremental step toward a desire that we hope is fulfilled. Take Ben and Sarah. They want to rest when they retire, so they are aggressively saving now. Whatever we treasure, we invest in. That's a biblical principle that I love. It's so true. Our friend Ben, he's saving hard. He's checking his investments daily. He's pinching pennies left and right. He is sowing, so to speak, for an investment so that he can reap a strong retirement later. Now, if you were to write down where you spend your time, your energy, your talents, your money, where you invest your heart, what goals does it reveal that you have? What you'd write down is what shows what you have hope in, and in some ways, what you hope to get returned from. The thing is, it's not just you that's in this race. God has put you and your spouse together for a three-legged race of marriage. You've got to believe that your husband or your wife, they deeply feel the effects of every single investment that you make week in and week out. They know when you're in autopilot with them, but all in on your hobby or your job. They know when you're all in with them too. They also know if you're on the same path as them or if one or both of you are veering off trying to do your own thing. Too many people listening to my voice today are done investing in their marriage, and that is not cool. Some of you, you know what this looks like, and it hurts. There's no long talks. There's no respect There's little regard for the other person. There's no desire to hold hands. Kisses become pecks and then they eventually disappear. Eventually you are left thinking, I am just not worth it to my spouse anymore. 
If this is you or you don't want this to be you, there are two things that need to be considered to stay tethered to each other in this three-legged race of marriage and enjoy every step. First, you need to both be headed toward the same goals, investing in the right things. And second, once you get on the right path together, you need to be able to keep your zeal, keep your passion. I'm going to take a moment to talk about the first one. Then we're going to spend the rest of our time together today talking about the second one. So for homework, I want you to do that little assessment of your investments that David talked about a minute ago. No, I'm totally serious. Before the end of next weekend, if you're serious about starting fresh, investing in your marriage, investing in the things that matter, this is a necessary step. Take some time to write down everything that you spend, your time, energy, talents, money, heart in, all of it. Both of you do it and then share your answers with each other. Not to point the finger, but to bring these things before the Lord and see where does change need to be made? A lot of us are already reaping what we're sowing and we don't like it. So what's there to lose by doing this? The results you see from this assessment is the first step to getting on the right path because we have to know where we're going and where you're investing is the path you're on. Remember Ben and Sarah on autopilot on a downward drift? It's possible, like them, you actually know God's word. Verses like Galatians 6.2, carrying each other's burdens. Verses like Matthew 22, that talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Sarah is Ben's closest neighbor and vice versa. But instead, what they do, what we do, is hold on to these goals that feel more achievable to our heart and head, rather than working at the biblical truths in everyday marriage life. In our homes, when the front door is shut, we can start to hold very loosely to the biblical principles that we should. Instead, we shift into serving our own rules, and we want our marriage to do the same. For example, I'd rather watch videos and ask my wife what's heavy on her heart. That's what Ben might be thinking. Or or tonight, I'm going to go have a beer with my buddies rather than stay home and do family devotions. Maybe some other night. It's too easy to nod our head on Sunday morning or in a men's or women's Bible study. It's hard to live this out when your wife has turned off all the physical touch in your life, the very way that you hoped she would invest in you, or when your husband has stopped investing in conversations with you and you are emotionally tied up in knots. Now, I think we acknowledge all the time that God's word is full of wisdom and life, but we become like the man described in James chapter 1. We are married people who are hearers of the word and not doers. We're deceiving ourselves, that verse says. Now, there's always going to be a war between our flesh and the spirit. Galatians 5 actually talks about that. It says the fight that you feel is real. And this chapter talks about the outcome of investing in yourself and all your selfish desires as opposed to the payoff of walking in step with the spirit, letting God's word and the Holy Spirit determine your path. Now, if you don't know what it means to follow God, you can start by trusting him to be your Lord and Savior. And I would strongly encourage you to reach out to us questions at vows2keep.com. We'd love to help you understand how you can make a decision to follow Christ. Now, if you've done that, and, and both of you have done that, and you're pulling against each other rather than walking in step, well, this is where it's time to lean into God's word, but not just hear it, do it. That's going to make your footing firm, and that will get you in a position where you're both headed toward the same goal. 
being God-honoring in all that you say and do. This is the best place to be, totally all in with God, totally spirit-led in every decision. This is where unity gets real. This is where passion that's God-honoring and super enjoyable takes shape, where we as Christians prove the world wrong about their view of marriage. There's been many times where I've just gone through the motions. I've stopped investing with David. I've stopped investing with God. And it's killed my zeal every single time because I realize without passionate investment of my whole self, any action feels like it costs me too much. The middle ground seems safe, but listen to this quote. Satisfaction is the grave of progress. A lot of times I've convinced myself that if I just go through the motions, that's a good attempt at being faithful. But more often than not, it equates to unfaithfulness. It's just my half-hearted attempt that if I don't resolve it, can become the status quo, the status quo that I really hate. So if something isn't working in your marriage, the best place to start to see a remedy is to ask the question, why? To get to the root of it. So why are you lacking in passion for the right things? Why are you lacking investment? We're going to talk about four reasons. We're not going to hit all of them, but let's take a minute to look at these big ones. Number one, I lose my passion, my zeal when I don't know the why behind it. Why is God asking me to invest? Or maybe even deeper, what's the biblical why behind all of this? Why did God create marriage? Why did God create me? Understanding that is essential to keeping your passion and investing wholeheartedly. If you're not sure what that looks like, we've got some excellent resources on our website for you, blog posts and podcasts on this very topic. The second investment killer is spiritual, emotional, and physical independence in a marriage. God put you together so that you would never have to go it alone in any one of these three dimensions. This became very relevant for me yesterday when I wanted to quit on something I was working toward, a goal I was working toward. Just yesterday morning, David saw that I was just about to give up and he was there to encourage me and challenge me to get me going again. I needed that. You do too. And so does your spouse. Now is the time to lean into them. The third investment killer is not knowing who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. This isn't about passing a one-time salvation test. Yes, making a decision for Christ is an event that will happen on a certain day and you will remember it and your heart will be changed. But what I'm talking about is actually really knowing every day of your life that the gospel is applicable and relevant to the choices you're making right now. Go search out the scriptures for whatever you're struggling with. And again, if you need to dig into a specific topic further, go check out our website, vows2keep.com. We've got tons of great resources out there. The fourth reason we lose our passion is probably the biggest one, sin. It is a total investment and passion killer. Sin is those choices we make that go against what God asks of us in the Bible. We can't be all in investing in our marriage when we're enslaved to sin. For each one of the things we've named, It can be made right because of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because he was all in for us. In fact, he currently is all in for us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. I see his investment and passion for me and my spouse and my marriage every day. And I'm so grateful for it. Knowing Christ and what he's done changes my heart. It makes me want to be all in in my marriage and with him. Not just sitting on the sidelines anymore. I don't want to be like the church in Revelation 3.15 where Jesus says, 
I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. How I wish you were one or the other. When we press forward with purpose, God's glory as our goal, loving our spouse as our goal, that's when we keep our passion. That's when we keep investing because we're serving the Lord like he has served us. Now, Paul gives us a hint of what keeps him going in 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, God called me to live a holy life, but not because of anything that I've done, but because of his, meaning God's purpose and grace. That's my fuel, he says. I'm, I'm not just keeping on to keep on. I am pressing forward with purpose. And those two are very different. I'm going to be all in, he says in 2 Timothy 4. Here's how I've done it. Here's my encouragement, he tells us. You have been given the resources you need to live out the purposes that God had in mind when he saved you, when he gave you grace, and when he created your marriage. Now, you've got God's word. We see that in 2 Timothy 3.15-17. through 17. You've got the Holy Spirit. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 14. You've got the grace of Jesus Christ to keep you strong. That's in 2 Timothy 2.1. And you've got godly examples in 2 Timothy 1.5. So we are equipped to do this thing and to do it well. Now, it may be that you're listening to this and saying, okay, it's not me that needs this encouragement, David and Tracy, to keep going on this spiritual walk, to, to make the right choices of life. It's my spouse. Well, good point. Where are they at today? Do they need to get on the right path? Do they need passion and an investment to finish their race? I think it's so easy to judge someone else at this point and to, to point the finger. But that's actually not why we ask this question. You are in this race with them together. As we wrap up, let's answer this question. How can you help them? How can you help your spouse? Well, first, I think it starts with being a student of them, understanding their sin triggers and their passion killers. Then take action on their behalf constantly to invest in them. This requires the second thing, and that is that you are on the right path yourself that you are working to increase your passion for investment in God's kingdom, including them, whether your spouse is in step with God's spirit or not. Third, pray for them. And I'm not talking about this in some fuzzy way. Ask God to change their desires to match his desires. Ask God to open the eyes of their heart so they can know the hope that he is calling them to. Ask God to give you patience for them and a merciful spirit because they're going to keep stumbling and you are called to keep helping them up again and again. So be like Paul. Spur them on. Be spurred on yourself. Train yourself in godliness to be successful. Run your race with endurance. Press on towards the goal that God has. Don't grow weary. Finish the race. You see, God-honoring spouses prove the world's belief about marriage is wrong. Christians can and should have the best sex lives, but it's a byproduct. It's not a goal in and of itself like the world says. When we invest in our marriage with the kind of intentionality and heart and love that God compels us with, the unity, physically, emotionally, spiritually, they are the great side benefits. Biblical investment is not the half-hearted, self-righteous attempt that we give it day in and day out. God will meet you where you're at today. Just like he met Paul on the road to Damascus and he gave him a job to do, 
a future of investments that won't come up short. Let me encourage you today that God is working. You're still with your spouse because he wants to use you in their life. Let's start this week with this thought from Paul in Philippians chapter 3. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.